Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crossan, and this is Exposure 124. In this episode, I do want to spend some time talking about the NCAA and the Tennessee violations that just came out yesterday. Some breaking news there, which really isn't that surprising, but we'll get into that in a little bit. And then the second part, I do want to spend some time touching upon Kirby Smart in Georgia and that big contract extension and what Kirby Smart had to say about NIL and everything that's going on surrounding name, image, and likeness. But first of all, let's dive into Tennessee. So I first saw this on Twitter yesterday, but now I'm reading an ESPN article that was written yesterday afternoon. The NCAA has charged Tennessee's football program with 18 level one rule violations, allegedly, apparently. And level one is the most severe under the NCAA rules. And what we're talking about is impermissible recruiting benefits, which totaled about $60,000 in cash, gifts, benefits, etc., that were paid to prospects, players, and their families under former head coach Jeremy Pruitt. So the 60000 that's the big number. But there are other allegations surrounding Jeremy Pruitt in that he's also accused of providing about $9,000 to the mothers of two prospects, and Jeremy Pruitt's wife, Casey, is accused of making 25 cash payments totaling about $12,500 to help a prospect's mother make her car payment. Now, Jeremy Pruitt is no longer the head coach for Tennessee. He was fired back in January 2021 after, apparently, Tennessee's internal investigation into these allegations. But Tennessee is not being charged with a lack of institutional control because of their cooperation with the NCAA investigators and its quote-unquote integrity in handling the misconduct. The point about lack of institutional control is something that we touched upon before on this podcast. USC was hit pretty hard. When Ohio State was hit pretty hard, people brought up the fact, hey, they lacked institutional control. So really, when it feels like that you've lost any kind of control around your program, or maybe when you don't take it seriously enough or you don't cooperate with the NCAA, that is when you can get hit with that additional allegation. To avoid having the NCAA hammer being brought down hard on, let's just say, a football program, what a lot of schools and compliance offices will do now is self-report violations and then self-impose some sort of restrictions or even be too hard on themselves, the last thing you want is to self-impose restrictions and then have the NCAA come in and say, you know what, that's great, but not good enough. We're going to put something additional on your plate. What ESPN was told is that Tennessee had already self-imposed 12 scholarship reductions last year, as well as other recruiting restrictions. Now, Tennessee made their own decision to not self-impose a bull ban Last year, that seems to be a pretty common thing amongst other schools. They'll say, you know what, for this season or next season, we're just not going to play in a bowl game or the conference championship or really any postseason play. The main reasoning why Tennessee was able to warrant that themselves is that they didn't want to penalize current coaches, staff members, or players in the program who supposedly had nothing to do with these allegations. And that's fine. I, I do think that's fair. And I don't think the NCAA would look at that any differently. I think they'd see that and go, okay, fine, we agree with you. But the big thing is just being transparent, self-imposing violations, self-imposing some sort of sanctions or restrictions, and then cooperating with the NCAA, then they most likely will not bring down the hammer too hard. The big thing to remember here is that once these players 
receive and accept an impermissible benefit, they are immediately ineligible as soon as they received that gift or the cash or whatever it may be. So in this report, the NCAA notes that probably as many as 12 Tennessee athletes who received these impermissible benefits competed in more than 60 games. And again, you know, that's they were ineligible at the time that they received those gifts. So you had ineligible players competing. This report gives a little bit more detail, and the NCAA also charged Pruitt with failing to promote an atmosphere of compliance and failure to monitor his staff. Pruitt was also charged with violating NCAA principles of ethical conduct when he, quote-unquote, knowingly arranged, offered, and provided prospective and enrolled student-athletes and their family members or individuals associated with prospective student-athletes with improper inducements and extra benefits in the form of impermissible entertainment and cash payments to numerous individuals, unquote. ESPN was actually able to get a response out of Jeremy Pruitt after these allegations were released, going on to say, quote, A lot of this information in the NCAA's report I am seeing for the first time and still reading through it. I'd rather not comment a whole lot past that, other than to say that I'm looking forward to telling my side of the story somewhere down the road, end quote. So there's a couple different ways we can look at this. One being... Jeremy Pruitt, at the very least, knew at least a little bit about what was going on because he was directly involved in these impermissible benefits. And also his wife was caught giving out impermissible benefits as well. If your wife is doing it, clearly you know what's going on. Now, the second part of this, I do think part of these impermissible benefits maybe went on, quote-unquote, air quotes, without Jeremy Pruitt knowing but I think it's one of those things where he probably says to his staff or assistant coach or whoever, don't tell me what you're doing so that I can truthfully say I didn't know or that I wasn't aware of it. In this case, I think both can be true and probably are true. When I first heard about this, it's funny, my brain immediately goes back to what I saw. Gosh, I think it was January 2021. Now, Dan Patrick so I'm reading a Bleach Report article right here. January 19th, 2021. Dan Patrick, Tennessee recruits got paid in McDonald's bags amid NCAA violations. And that's so funny. I mean, Tennessee clearly got sloppy with what they were doing. And look, they are not the only ones at fault here. There are so many programs in the country that have done similar things, who have broken rules that I'm sure have paid players. Tennessee is the one that just clearly thought they could get away with it or just didn't care or just got sloppy. Now, to be honest, I really don't know how bad or not as bad as it might get for Tennessee when it comes to the ramifications coming down from the NCAA later on. Because as we noted earlier, and as the NCAA noted, that they're not charging or alleging that Tennessee had a lack of institutional control when Jeremy Pruitt was the head coach. And so that's a really big, important piece here, number one. Number two, being that they are cooperating with the NCAA, that's important. And three, they have already self-reported and self-imposed violations. Anyways, I think Tennessee might end up being okay in the long run. But if you want to read this ESPN article, it was written yesterday, July 22nd, by Mark Schalbach and Chris Lowe, and you can just find that on the ESPN website. I do want to shift and spend time talking about Kirby Smart, Georgia, Kirby just signed his pretty lucrative contract extension, 10 years of a total of more than $110 million. 
in The Athletic is reporting that Kirby Smart's annual salary goes up to $10.25 million effective immediately, and then he will receive annual raises up to $12.25 million, which comes in the final year of his contract, 2031. That's a ton of money, and it's ridiculous that we're paying college football head coaches this much, but that is the market right now. James Franklin, Penn State's getting paid. Mel Tucker, Michigan State got paid. Ryan Day got paid. Guys are getting paid. Kirby Smart, obviously, Georgia just won the national championship, so he's going to get paid. Georgia likes what they have with Kirby. Kirby's done a great job recruiting, competing with Bama, finally beating Bama last year and getting them a championship. So, you know, from what guys are getting paid already, sure, Kirby does earn that. But the biggest gripe with that is I saw two articles that came out around the same time. This article about Kirby Smart getting paid, and not just on The Athletic, but I'm getting these pieces off The Athletic right now. These are anywhere. Kirby Smart got paid, and then he also had an interview where he was talking about, he was at the Texas High School Coaches Association annual convention in San Antonio. And he said that he was an early advocate of NIL, but now he can't accept the fact that players could be paid $10,000 a year. And he did give another quote saying that, Quote, you give a young man 8000 a month or 6000 a month, and you can say he deserves that. Well, he might deserve that if he earns it, if he goes out there and plays, end quote. So it feels like a double standard here, right? Kirby is more than happy, and his agent are more than happy to push, and I'm sure get a contract extension of more than $110 million across 10 years. And the only reason why you're getting this extension is because of the product of your team, on the field. Now, your players are nothing without your coach. Maybe not nothing, but in layman's terms, right? If you look at it just through one lens, black and white, the coach needs the players, the players need the coach. But to go out there and say, uh, well, I'm not a huge fan of my players making $10,000 a month if they can make that much. What? That's $120,000 a year. Yet you're okay signing a contract extension of totaling more than $110 million. So, it feels like a double standard, and this is coming from a guy that says, oh, no, I was a huge advocate for NAL, but at this point, we got to shift. We have to blah, 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 blah. I have no doubt that the NAL and the transfer portal is just taking college football to a whole nother level that's just bent untapped, right? With college football, and other coaches have mentioned this before, but when you're comparing coaches, head coaches collegiately and at the NFL, with the NFL, there's an offseason, Right? At the college level, you're dealing with school, you're dealing with grades, guys have to remain eligible in terms of their academics, and also recruiting. That's the biggest thing. Recruiting never, ever stops. Even when the season is up and running, you still have to recruit. Even when the season ends, you still have to recruit. And so the workload is just so heavy collegiately. Because that workload is so heavy, and it's so demanding of your time, energy, and effort, now you're throwing in, you got to build in the transfer portal. You have to account for the fact that every player gets a one-time transfer where they can leave and be eligible immediately. So guys are like, you know what? I can take a chance at this school. I'll sign and commit. And if it's not working, I can just leave after two years, go somewhere else and play like nothing else ever happened. So now with all the other BS, all the recruiting, all the nonstop stuff, you have to account for the fact that you're going to have some players leave every year in the transfer portal. And so in addition to recruiting, now you have to dig into the, we'll call it college football free agency portal, not just a transfer portal, 
and account for the fact that guys are going to leave and you're going to have to build through that portal as well. And now you have NIL opportunities where you're not supposed to pitch kids about what you can get or like boosters can't talk directly to recruits, but it's kind of a gray area. People are like, ah, what can we do with NIL? Like we can't not pitch kids what kind of money you can get, but we can't just outright say, yeah, we'll give you 10 grand if you sign on the spot. So now you're throwing additional things on top. I do think it makes coaches just burnt out and kind of done with college football. So to circle back to those comments he made about NAL and about, oh, I don't know if I can accept the fact that my guys can make $10,000 a month. I think he's just worn out with the fact of what college football is right now. I do believe him and agree with him that he was a supporter and advocate of NIL, but because of how demanding it is to be a college football coach with the recruiting cycles, right? And then with the whole COVID thing, it's, you know, there was like the 14-month pandemic-induced recruiting dead period, and there's so much extra stuff. The NCAA is a mess. You have boosters breathing down your neck. You got grades. You have transfer report. You have NIL. I think Kirby, like a lot of head coaches, got to the got to a point where they were like, God, I just don't know how good NIL is for the sport right now. And I think that comes from a lack of regulation. Now, there is some stuff in place already, like the NCAA has come out and said, okay, if you're a booster, like, come on, we've written this down in stone. You cannot talk to recruits and their families, even though I'm positive that has already happened. So macro, long-term, broad picture, yes, NAL is good for the sport. And I totally agree with that. I just think for these coaches, when there is so much going on and we all knew that we were moving towards this path and that NIL was going to come up much sooner than we thought, the NCAA really botched it. I mean, they had all this time to change. It didn't happen. Local governments forced their hand, forced them to change. Now it's the Wild West. I do think NIL will slow down and people will adapt and get used to it like they always do when things change. But I think at the moment, Kirby Smart, like a lot of head coaches, are just overwhelmed and kind of tired of NIL. We will see what else happens to Tennessee. We'll see what other comments Kirby Smart makes. But in the meantime... That will conclude this week's episode of SE. You can follow us and stay up to date with what we're doing on our social medias at Silent Exposure on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and then at Silent Expose on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Bucks.